It's good to be here with you guys. I think there are quite a few more fa uh, new faces than than the last time I was here. How many of you guys have been part of Father's House for less than a year? Less than a year. Praise God. That's awesome. Okay, before we open to Mark chapter 4, and I just have a couple of thoughts just to share with the house today. Uh, and pray that it lands wherever the Lord may want it to land. But there is something I sense in my spirit that I would want to submit to the house. Even hearing about what you guys are doing with the prayer room here, I, I think it's, it's the hand of God. It's what the Lord desires for you guys. And the one, I was hearing this phrase today in my spirit, and I feel it, I feel it connects. John G. Lake, how many of you guys have heard of John G. Lake? A few of you guys. If not, you should, you should look him up. <laughs> but John G. Lake, one of the, he was a missionary about 100 years ago that God had sent to South Africa. And, and the hand of the Spirit was upon him so powerfully, him and a, several families that moved there together, to really see the power of God break into South Africa in ways that some people say rival like the days of the apostles. And one of the comments that he had made is that he said, praying in tongues has been the making of my ministry. That's what he said. <laughs> Praying in tongues has been the, make, the making of my ministry. And so one of the things that I, I sensed and would submit to the house today, it's not connected to the word at all, is <laughs> just, it's just to, to engage in the spirit. One, one, of, one of the nine gifts that the spirit of God gives and, and in many ways is like a, is a foundational and fundamental gift. We pray mysteries to God. We pray under the inspiration of God's leadership. All of us need God's leadership in our life. We, the scripture even says in, in Romans chapter 8, we don't even know to pray the way we ought to pray. And, and truth be told, and this is one of the things that we're going to talk about today, sometimes our hearts are so dull, it's easy for our hearts to get so dull or our minds to get so dull that when we engage the Lord and we commune the Lord, commune with the Lord, we may not even know what to do. Maybe for some of us, we're, we're just starting to get familiar to the presence of God. Maybe for years we saw prayer as a chore or a duty or like a, like a fuel station. Like I need to go to, to meet with the Lord and pray and read the word, number one, so I can please him. And so number two, so I can get recharged so I can go about living my life in a more happy way. But it's, it's almost like the Lord becomes a means to the end, which would be us having whatever kind of life we want to have. And so for, for some of us, I think when we think of prayer, we think of prayer as a means to the reward rather than like being with the Lord is actually the reward. And so when, when those things happen, we get discouraged in prayer and we get discouraged if we see other people that are praying and they seem to be connecting with the Lord. And we may read stories about men or women of God Throughout church history that seem to engage with the Lord and they speak from a place of love and adoration and joy and enjoyment. But maybe we don't feel the same way. Listen, there's a reason amongst many reasons. The Lord, one of the nine gifts is, is tongues. Praying in tongues. You edify your spirit. Now when Paul talks about it, he says, and, and, and most likely because this is what they were doing to the, in the Corinthian church to some degree. They, they, were, they were trying to... You know, show off and, you know, 
whatever, what, whoever felt like they had the best gift. And, and it wasn't for the purpose of serving or loving or building up, but it was more for the purpose of like stunting. <laughs> and, so, and so Paul says, listen, if you're going to pray in tongues publicly, have interpretation because ultimately the Lord is seeking to communicate his mind to his people. But when you pray personally in the spirit, the mind of the Lord, the desires of God, the things that you don't even know you need prayer for. You might be full of yourself and you don't even know you're full of yourself, but the Spirit of God is saying, humble me, humble me. You're like, la, 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 da, 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 da. You know what I mean? And you may be feeling good about yourself, like I'm the man, but deep inside he's praying, Lord, humble me, humble me. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, we don't know. You may, be, you may be facing something, you know, around the corner, some kind of crazy test, some kind of, you know, assignment of the devil against your life. And you, you have, you're oblivious to it. But you're praying by the Spirit of God that the Lord will bring you to, through it and deliver you. And so just, just as a way of encouragement, I think it's so important to, if you're not, if, if you're, okay, okay, well, I won't have you raise your hands if you don't want to. But <laughs> whether you are or whether you're not. If you're not, pursue the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is more than just praying in tongues. It's more than just praying in tongues. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not going to be reduced down to a spiritual language. However, one of the critical aspects and, 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 and truths and ways that we can commune and fellowship with God, it's a gift from God is what it is. It's a gift from the Lord. And we don't want to reject a gift from God that will bring glory to him and ultimately... Uh, bring us in a, in, in, a, in a way closer and closer to him. We don't want to reject that. So I want to just encourage you guys, even as you, in your own personal time and as you gather in different ways to really develop, and if, if you haven't been baptized in the Holy Spirit, or even if you have, just to seek a, a fresh endowment and to pray in the Spirit, building yourself up in your most holy faith. I feel like that's important. Amen? Amen. It was good enough for John Lake. <laughs> okay, so Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. So one of the things that I know for myself, and often when I, and I think, you know, I know, I know Mike knows this and, and, and some of the, of course, the different people here in the house. But, you know, for me, you know, I try to share from a place of what I feel the Lord is speaking to me in a season what I feel the Lord wants to speak to the house, and then also things that I'm, I'm, I'm seeking to grow in myself. So it's, it's by no means some kind of like a, hey, you know, you need to do this because we're already doing it. No, not at all. Seeking to grow in this together. Amen? But with that said, you know, one of the conversations that we were just having even the last few days being here in, in, in town with you guys and trying to catch up with the time clock and whatnot is we... As human beings are living in very, very unique times in light of human history. Okay? Uh, you, you probably, listen, one of the things that we're asked often is, you know, what is it like in Iraq? Or is it, is it dangerous in Iraq? That's, that's a big one. You know, like, is it dangerous in Iraq? You know, and I, I, feel like, I feel like it's such a vague answer, a question that it's hard to really answer it without saying, like, that's all relative. It's relative to what is danger to you. You know, what is danger to somebody else, you know. Right now, the average American, average American, like middle class to even lower class American, is in the 90th or 95th percentile of the most wealthy person on the face of the earth. 
So even if you feel like you're just, just getting by, you have to understand relatively, maybe your family, maybe your community, you're not doing that well. But in light of all the rest of the human race that is alive on the planet, you are in the 90th, 95th percentile of comfort and amenities and opportunities that are provided you. So that's all relative. It's, it's all relative. In, in, in our generation, one of the largest issues that we have is distraction. Often, you know, I know for me, I'm a reader. I enjoy reading. I think the only thing I enjoyed in school was history. I did not like school. <laughs> history is the one thing. I enjoy reading. I enjoy reading about different men and women of God throughout history and how God used different ones. But I, I often see, you know, certain, certain things about their lives that, that mirror one another. And that is that they had latched on with a single focus onto the Lord and really just committed their hearts to pursue the Lord and to give themselves to the Lord. And then the Lord, by his grace, started to break into their life revelation, encounters with God, baptisms with the Holy Spirit, visions and dreams, miracles. And the deeper they went into God, the deeper you go into God, the more that your world becomes transformed. The more that your world becomes transformed and you, you genuinely begin to see life from a different perspective. And you start to look weird to people that before you would have been just like them. I mean, how many of you guys have had a born-again, a real born-again experience, right? I remember when I was in the world, believed in God in a general way, stayed getting high every single day, hanging out in the neighborhood every single day. And then one day, I have a radical encounter with God. And I'm talking to the same guys with tears in my eyes that you need to repent from sin. Stop sleeping around. Stop getting high. Give your life to Jesus. I don't want to listen to that music anymore. And, and they're looking at me like I'm crazy. And it's not that I'm trying to put it on. I, I genuinely see life through a different lens. I'm not trying to convince myself. This is how I see life. I see now. And, 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 and the thing about the thing about. The day and age that we're living in right now is that there's, there's so much that we're exposed to that impacts our hearts and our minds and that, that dulls us. It dulls our spirit. It dulls our spirit. You got to figure, like, the, who knows how long the world's been around, how long humans have been walking on the earth. We're not going to debate that right now, but it's been thousands and thousands of years, right? At least according to Jewish history, you could say about 6,000 years. And, you know, often, you know, we live in a world that is so self-focused. And, again, please recognize that I'm not saying you. I'm saying we together. We're all born into this world. We are the most self-focused, self-centered, self-obsessed generation that has ever walked the earth. And, and this is the context that we're born in. That does not mean that we will or have to remain slaves to that stream 
of consciousness, to that way of life, by no means. It just means that God has chosen to place us as the church of the last days within this setting so that where great sin abounds, great grace would abound all the more. And the church of Jesus Christ needs to grow to maturity, right? The parable of the tares and the wheat. It needs to grow to maturity within the setting of the tares growing to maturity. Meaning when evil is at its peak, at its peak, when darkness is at its darkest hour, then the church will rise up and shine with glory, holy, without spot, without blemish, without wrinkle. So we're not discouraged by it, but we're also not in self-denial, right? We can't be in denial about it either. It's one thing to be like, hey, listen, we're going to assemble a team, and this is going to be the best championship team ever. And we don't take into any account the fact that the other team is going to try to take your head off, right? We, we still have to be aware of the world that we're living in. And one of the strategies, and listen, it's, it is a war over attention, and it is a war over affection, we live in a generation where we are, so, we are so scattered. There is so much multiplicity, constantly, constant things going on. I mean, think about, think about the fact. How many of you guys, okay, probably half of you guys. How many of you guys can remember when the internet came out? Some of the people here, right? You can remember when the How many of you guys can remember when cell phones came out? <laughs> right? Okay. Some of, you, some, some of the kids are like, wait, there was a time when there was no cell phone? Well, you didn't have internet. Well, how did you check stuff online? (laughs) Well, online didn't exist. The word online (laughs) literally meant on a line. That's all all it meant. You write your name on the line in school. That's what it meant to us. (laughs) Right? But it's like, you know, now we've gotten so accustomed to it. We've gotten so accustomed to it that the other day I was driving to the Magic Stadium or the Amway Center. And, and Ade and I, Ade got to go see his first basketball game. And, and, and Frankie was like, take my mom's car. And I was like, I don't have a, a SIM card. Um, I don't have a SIM card here, so I don't have, like, you know, Google Maps and directions. When I, he's like, well, I'll just give you directions. And I was like, I'm not going to go without directions. But I think to myself, like, I used to drive from Florida to Chicago when I was in college with a massive map. Like, it was like, it was like this big, I kid you not, of, of all the states and all the interstates. And I would just pull over and just, like, open up. <laughs> oh, I got off the wrong stop. You know what I mean? Like, it was, it's a 20-minute drive from his house to Amway Center. But it's always like, wait, what do you mean? If I don't have internet, I can't. It's not possible. <laughs> like, I'm not from here. What's my point? My point is that we can get so accustomed to something that to even think outside of that frame of mind would seem like completely ridiculous. Like it's not even a conversation you can have. You'd be like, wait, what? Our minds won't even register it. And the point is that we can be so numbed to the generation that we're, that we're alive in, to the world system around us, that's constantly pumping noise, 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 noise. The, the, the feed, the Instagram feed, the Facebook this, this bill over there. A porn addiction over there, music, movies. Do you know what this person did? Keeping up with this stat, or what did they say about me? Or trying to compare ourselves, or trying to make more money because we need the newer this and the newer that. And again, maybe in our in our circle, we may not be like, well, I mean, there's a whole lot of people doing it a whole lot more than me. 
But all of that is relative. And in this setting, what we're after is not keeping up with the Joneses, but is walking with Jesus. And what's normal to scripture may look completely abnormal to human beings. And the only way that we'll start to see things like him is when we encounter him and he starts to soften our heart. That's, that's where it's at right there. It's one of the prayers I pray often. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Have mercy on my heart. Lord, do you know what makes sin so dangerous? Not, listen, sin grieves the heart of God. But I think sometimes when we think about sin, because we also understand God is gracious and he's merciful and he's a good father. We understand that we can, according to the scriptures, confess our sin and repent and he, and he forgives us. And that is true. But we don't take into account how it has hardened us, how it has, how it has hardened our hearts and numbed our minds. And then when we do it repeatedly or habitually, we don't recognize, we don't, you don't recognize it. You don't recognize it when you're numb, just like you don't recognize when you're asleep. You don't know you're asleep when you're asleep. When something is numb, you don't know it's numb because you have no feeling there. And, and part of the problem with allowing constant, just constant noise and our tension being pulled this way and that way and this way and that way is when we're trying to engage Jesus and be faithful to him in this generation, in this last hour in which we're alive. We can find it challenging and difficult because we read things in the scripture and because we're born again, our spirit, it cries out, yes. You know, the, the, the pastor preaches a word, you're reading something, you, you're listening to a worship song and something is, moves on the inside of you. Naturally so, because you're a child of God, something moves on the inside of you. And you're like, yes, yeah, that's it, that's it. It's like a moment of clarity. But then you start to apply that to your life. And you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to start waking up every day and I'm going to start seeking the face of Jesus before anything else. And then you apply it. You do one day and you do two, you, your second day and you realize when you're doing it, your mind's distracted. You don't feel like, this is a big one, you don't feel like doing it, right? And it almost, it's, it's almost reminiscent to a degree of, anybody here, Some, I think maybe a personal trainer? And gym, okay, personal trainer gym. If you've worked, have you worked in a gym before? Ever worked? Okay, yeah. Some of you guys, okay, so, so okay. I think, I think a lot of you guys would know this as well. Do you know in gyms, okay, at the beginning of the year, they give specials at the beginning of the year. Because New Year's resolutions are this year, I'm going to get my summer body. Right? I'm going to get my summer body this year. Right? Every, every, this, I'm, yours. And do you know how much money gyms make every year when they sell you on the year package? Right? Because they're going to give you the good deal. At the beginning of the year, knowing statistically more than 90% of the people that sign up will never be seen again after 30 days. Never to be seen again. Because in the moment, they were excited, but they, they were not willing to make the changes in their life that they had to make to accommodate this, this new pursuit. Or they start to go, and one of the reasons they may get distracted is, or, 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 or discouraged, I'm sorry, is they start running on the treadmill, right? Let's say like the goal is like losing weight, getting more fit. 
you start running on the treadmill, you, work, you do some of the machines, you go back home, you feel good about yourself, so you have a piece of cake. Right? It's like you just undid plus some more what you just did. So it's like, okay, no, no, I, I want more of the Lord. That I put on that worship song. My heart jumps. I'm in, the, I'm in the gathering together. I hear the word of God. I hear there's a fast coming. Yes, yes, Lord. Daniel, all of that, amazing visions. Davis from Iraq. Wasn't Daniel in Iraq? This must be a confirmation. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> we get excited about it, right? We get excited about it. Then we go back home, and we just sit spending hours online, just scrolling. And even if you're not looking at something that may be illicit, perhaps in your generation, may not be considered illicit, one generation ago, unsaved people would have blushed at it, right? You just hours, just deadening your brain. And I'm not preaching legalism. I'm saying if the goal is to connect with God, God is spirit. And when you're born again, his spirit comes to live on the inside of you. God communes spirit to spirit. That's, that's a large portion of what Paul is preaching in the New Testament when he's talking to the churches. He's teaching them how to relate to God spirit to spirit. But we as a church, again, we're alive in very, in very unique times. And this ought not discourage us. This ought encourage us because where sin abounds, where darkness abounds, much greater grace is made available to us than any other generation that's ever lived and walked the face of the earth. We have to understand that. And one of the unique things about the wheat versus tares is, you know, wheat grows up. And when it gets mature, it's top, it's, it's top heavy, right? So what does it do? It just, it bends over, it bows. Tares stick straight up the whole time. One of, the, one of the aspects of what it looks like for the mature church, the church knows how to bow, bow its heart before the Lord. It's not exalting itself. You know, in, in Iraq, you can look at a person's phone, and I kid you not. Where's Salam at? No offense, Salam. This is not, not Salam. Not Salam. Out of 100 pictures, 95 of them are selfies that they took of themselves. It's like, how, how could you take so No, I don't know. It's probably the same way here. I don't know. I, I don't live here. Maybe it's the same way here. I don't live here. But, like, how could you... How many pictures do you need of yourself? <laughs> Again, what I'm saying is, it's, listen, this is not meant at all to, I'm not trying to take digs or anything like that. All I'm saying is we could be so self-focused and not be aware of the fact that we're self-focused. Because our hearts are dull. And the way we get our hearts alive is getting them underneath the presence of God and saying, Lord, have mercy on my heart. Touch my heart. But then when we, when we leave that place, not what I mean leave the Lord's presence, but when we, when we leave the service, when we leave our prayer closet and we're back to work, we're not eating the cake. We're, we're not eating the cake feeling good that, well, I, got, I ran that mile today. So I deserve it. You know, like I deserve. Is that, is that the saying, like I deserve it or like I forgot what the term is. Ask Dr. Brown when he thinks about cheap meals. Right? It's like, right? it's like you know, that, that, that mentality of like. I've worked hard for this or something like that, whatever, whatever the saying is. Mark chapter 4. What I really sensed to share today is that the Lord is seeking to give himself to his bride unlike ever before in these last days. But he's looking for a church that's, whose heart is soft, who has learned how to commune with the Lord spirit to spirit. God wants us to be more spirit than we are flesh. More spirit than we are flesh. Spirit to spirit.
you know, you know, Peter says something in Second Peter. I know uh, Dow just quoted when he said, you know, he's writing to the churches and he's stirring up. He's stirring them up by way of reminder. He talks about how when the Lord will return, everything will be destroyed by fire. Not only is he pointing to prophetic promise from the old covenant, but he's trying to frame for them what is reality. Don't invest all of yourself into something that will not last. Don't invest all of yourself into something that will not last. It's passing away. And then he says, because you know how everything will be dissolved by fire, what kind of lives you ought to live. Holy and God-like. Holy, listen, you cannot make yourself holy. The blood of Jesus makes you righteous, which means you are justified from sin. You are adopted into the family. You can stand with confidence before God and pursue him without, with, without shame and with, with, with boldness. But holiness is what takes place when he starts to fill you and impress his very character and nature onto your own. And then he says, what kind of lives we ought to live? Looking to and hastening the day of the Lord. Hastening the day of the Lord. I remember the first time reading that thinking to myself, he seems to be implying that we have something to do. We have a part to play in the Lord's return. Jesus says, no man knows the day or the hour, only my Father who is in heaven. There's a debate between did he mean that because he was still in the flesh? You know, in, 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 in restrained by human flesh, he, was not, he had not yet ascended and sat at the right hand of the throne? Or did he mean literally no man knows, only the Father knows? I don't know which one it is, but I know one thing for sure. Jesus will return at the Father's bidding for his bride when she is ready. And, and I'm not so sure that it's like a, a specific date. Now, I, I do believe God knows the date. The Father knows the date. But I'm not so sure, you know, how many, okay, here's another one. How many of you are old enough to remember a book that was written about a particular year the Lord was going to come back in that he did not come back in, right? I mean, right, like it's, listen, I'm, I'm not, I don't know that it's necessarily a date, as much as it is whenever the church has reached full maturity and has become the bride who is now suitable, the suitable partner for the bridegroom, then he comes back, then he returns. We have a part to play. We have a part to play. So Mark chapter 4, and just maybe 15 more minutes at most. Mark chapter 4. Jesus is teaching on, on, on a parable, the parable of the seed and the sower. Jesus says the seed is the word of God. Jesus identifies himself as the sower. And he identifies different types or sorts of soil as different kinds of people. I would submit that it's safe to say that this deals with the dynamics of the human heart. Right? If you want to say the human soul, that would incorporate the heart and the mind. The word of God is the person of Jesus, primarily so. Right? Jesus Christ is the word of God. The word of God is the person of the Lord before anything else. The word of God is revealed scripture. Right? 
And the word of God is the voice of the spirit as it directs our life. I think it's safe to read this parable in light of all of those. And he talks about different kinds of soil. And we can, we can look here in verse, uh, verse 10. For the sake of time, we'll just go right to the explanation. And it says that when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that, now listen, these were, he's quoting from Isaiah. These were a people that were like Romans chapter 1, maybe to a lesser degree, had continued to push up against the revelation of God. From the heavens to his revealed word through the prophets, they resisted, resisted, resisted. Their hearts had gotten so dull that God had released judgment. Listen, the, let me submit this to you. Judgment is not... Okay, what makes judgment horrible is not primarily things being taken away from us that's often mercy what makes judgment horrible is if God allows us to have what we want apart from the from the infusion and the energy and the leading of his spirit that's the judgment of God you want the judgment of God in your life keep pushing against the, the goads what is what does the Lord say to Paul when he reveals himself to Paul why do you keep kicking against the goads you know what goads were? Does any, do you guys all know what goads were? It was when a, when a, when a person, a farmer, or, you know, speaking of farmers' parables, when a farmer had a, a, a cow or a bull, and they would plow a field, right, break up a field and plow a field with, with, with a plow. And, and, they, and they put a, what's the word I'm looking for, like a, like a rectangular, like, yoke that went around to the back. So that it couldn't run so that, and so that it would keep it on a straight line. Because you want it to, you know, plow out straight line. You don't want him to run because he's walking behind it. You don't want him to go crooked. So why do you keep kicking? I have set things in your life to lead you to myself. Why do you go out of your way to push up against it? God is, the Bible says in Acts 17 that God has set every man. He has determined where every man would live in history. And the time in which he would be born, that they would just but grasp and reach out for God. For, in, for he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. No matter how we would determine fair or unfair, whether you're born in the Middle East or China or the United States, God has preset every person that they would touch mercy if they would just reach out. If they would just steward the light that he has given them, whether it's small light, and they steward it leads to greater light. And that's what, Paul, that, that's what the Lord was saying to Paul. Why are you resisting? Why are you resisting the things I have preset into your life unto me revealing myself to you? And this is what he's talking about here where it says that they indeed may see but not perceive. That they may hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. This is the people that he is speaking to. People who are hard-hearted. People who are hard-hearted. We want to have soft and tender hearts before the Lord. And you may ask, okay, back to, back to the, one of the first points. Well, what does it look like to have a soft and tender heart before the Lord? Well, it's all relative. 
if you're comparing yourself to maybe the person next to you or maybe you're comparing yourself to your family members, you may be, f- you may be far more faithful in loving Jesus than maybe any. Maybe you're the first person in your family that's ever gotten born again. Maybe you grew up in a home that's been churchy and, and, and gone to church and participated, but there was a hypocrisy in playing games and you actually did repent of your sin. Well, I guess if that's, if that's the comparison then sure, yeah, your heart is soft. And to a degree, if you're born again, there has to be a measure of a soft heart. But if, but if, we're, but if we're comparing ourselves to, I was just with a guy from China, <laughs> wakes up every morning, 3 a.m., to, to, to seek Jesus for several hours every single day. Not because it's some kind of like a weird thing that he feels that if he doesn't do, God's not going to love him. But because he wants to grow in greater love with the Lord. Right? And so it's, I'm not saying that because we ought to compare ourselves with one another. Far from. All I'm saying is, However soft your heart may be today, the Lord's desire is to make it softer. And the reason we want his heart to, our hearts to be soft is so that we can commune with him, so that we can hear him lead us. And so he goes on to say, he, he shares the parable, different kinds, different kinds of seeds. Some people hear the word immediately. They respond with joy, but there's no root. Others, they endure for a while problems come persecution comes then they start to shrink back others there's thorns there meaning that there's growth there but they never really removed other things they allowed the presence of God to grow without addressing other things at a fundamental level and this is what we're talking about today at a fundamental level it starts with getting set free from getting drunk and being addicted to porn and, and, and wasting all your money on things that have no value, but it, it leads to the place of, like, the deep self-issues. Like, I'm, I have pride. I'm always gossiping about people. Or, or, you know what I mean? It starts to get down deep into your guts. Th- things to where, like, you, you start to feel uncomfortable. The Lord starts putting his finger on things. Again, not because he's trying to shame us, but because he loves us. And he wants to pull us close to himself. And he can only relate to his own kind. Spirit relates to spirit. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 that the, that the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God. Do you know what a host, hostility means? Any of you guys kept up through the years with the Palestinian Jewish crisis? There's hostility there. There's animosity. There's, there's deep-seated hatred. I remember when we were in the streets of Chicago before we got born again, there were guys I was hostile towards and guys that were hostile towards me. And if we met one another in the streets, it would be on, it, it didn't matter if you were with your family, it was on site. Do you realize the mindset on the flesh is hostile to God? And it's, and it's all part of you. It's part of you. It's part of the way that you think. And the presence of God comes into your life and desires to pull you closer. And, the, and that part of you, that part of you is aiming at him and hates what he, he wants to bring. The mindset on the flesh. The Lord is looking to touch us deeply to soften our hearts. And he goes on to talk about the ones that good soil, they they bear good fruit. But look what it says, and this is what I want to finish with, verse 21 through 25. Now, he just finished talking about the word. And so he says, remember the context is the word, is the lamp. The word is meant to be a lamp, right? We don't see, we cannot see clearly apart the, from the revelation of the word of God. We, listen, you may feel like you see, you may be as sincere as any person has ever been on the earth. Just because you're sincere does not mean you're right. 
You may sincerely be like, this person hurt me. This is what they did. And you may be 100% spot on. That's what they did. It was wrong and it was hurtful. But the fact that you don't forgive as sincere as you are, you're wrong. Right? I mean, it's just, and, but we don't, we can't see it until we see it. Right? We, we can't see it until he shows us, oh, I was sincere, but I was, just, I was just off. I was misguided. I couldn't see straight. Lord, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Jesus, don't leave me to myself. Lord, please don't leave me to myself. Don't leave me to my own thoughts. Don't leave me to my habits. Don't leave me to my thought patterns. Lord, don't leave me to my own personality. Lord, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Shine the light of your word in my heart. Keep me near to you. Keep my heart soft. Lord, I know how easy it is. Smith Wigglesworth said, I need my heart to be softened by the Lord 1,000 times a day. 1,000 times a day. He would, he would get away. He would get away every 15 minutes, uh, historians would say, or people who wrote about his life. Every 15 minutes, he would get away and carry a little pocket New Testament and open it up and read a verse and just pause. Whatever he was doing, and just pause. He would say, I never read the Bible for longer than 15 minutes, but I never go more than 15 minutes without reading a verse. And so he would just get away, read one verse, just one thought, and just be like, Lord, touch my heart with this. Touch my heart. Touch my heart with this. Lord, you are my light and my salvation. Whom shall I touch my heart? And he would just get right back to you. It's, it's so easy. It's so, especially in our day and age, it's so easy. But if there's anything that we need to guard in this day and age, if, and, and in any day and age, if there's anything that we need to guard, we must guard our hearts. It's so easy to, to, to sink into, into offense. It's so easy to sink into bitterness. It's so easy to sink into pride. It's so easy to sink into the love of money. It's so easy to sink into, to sink into lust. It's so easy to drop the bar of what is normal because you may be farther along than people to your right or to your left, but it may not look normal at all according to the scriptures. It's so easy to feel the pull of God in a moment of worship, but it's not applied to the rest of our lives. We need Jesus to soften our hearts. He says a lamp is brought to not be put under a basket but on the stand so it can give light to the whole room. What he's saying is this. The reason the other types of soil and the other people who eventually the word of God got choked out, the reason it got choked out, fundamentally, the word of God did not have center stage in their life. It was an add-on to life. It wasn't central to life. And I gave that, that, that example of, of, of uh Wigglesworth to try to, to try to give us some kind of context. I'm not saying that you need to do that every 15 minutes, but at least it gives context. And if, and if the thought is popping up into your mind like, man, that seems like bondage, then you don't understand. I don't, I don't know that you understand God at all. If you feel like what I said is like, well, that's bondage. Well, if you think of it as bondage, then it can become bondage. But if you think relating to the most enjoyable being in the universe is bondage, you're in bondage. That's the truth of the matter. Listen. Your palate changes when you experience God. Your palate changes. The Lord wants to transform our palate, but that doesn't happen like this. It happens through time. Our palate changes. It's one thing to say no to all of these very enjoyable things because I know it will grieve God's heart. And I want to just give that extra time to just him and my family. That's one thing. And if that's where you're at, praise God. Do that. Do that. Praise God. But the goal is to not live there forever. The goal is to eventually transition to the place where you're like, there's nothing that tastes better than I've tasted all these other things. All these other things, no matter how enjoyable they may be in the moment, they dull me to what true joy is anyways. 
Lord, help me to just live cut off from these things to just pursue you in a world that is constantly offering me a menu with a thousand options. Listen, a generation ago, maybe there was ten options on the menu of the world system. Right now, there are thousands of options. It doesn't matter. Whatever your fit, whatever your flavor, whatever you want to do, we got it. We got it for you. Right? A single eye to Jesus. Jesus, you alone. A lamp is meant to be put at the center. Nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest. Nothing is secret that will not come to light. What is he saying? Listen, he's reminding them, we will give an account of our lives. We will give an account of our lives. They asked Jesus one day, they asked him, can we divorce? Are we allowed to divorce? Moses allowed divorce. Jesus said, except for adultery, he says, divorce he, he says, not except for adultery, he says, Moses allowed it because of their hardness of heart. He permitted it because of their hardness of heart. Now, Jesus, the fulfillment and the ultimate lawgiver, is bringing something to light. He says, but from the beginning, it was not so. So what is he saying? He's saying, just because they were able to do it, because their hearts were hard in the midst of it, doesn't mean that it's God's desire. Just because you, you, you are... You're able to, to live a certain way and still to a degree see healings or feel like there's favor on your finances or your family's blessed. Praise God. First of all, praise God if your family's blessed. Praise God that there's health in the family. Praise God for all those things are blessings from God. And, but just because it seems to be working doesn't mean it's God's desire. That doesn't mean it's what he wants. It's, it's not what he wanted from the beginning. We will give an account, and he says, pay attention to what you hear. Or let me put it this way. Pay attention to how you hear. Pay attention to how you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Listen, what you sow, you will reap. What you sow, you will reap. The Lord will reward us for every righteous act, the scripture says, that we do in his name. Nobody's going to cheat God. You are going to receive and become from him what you choose to yield your heart to in a very practical way. And he says, and more shall be added to you. Why? Because not only do you reap what you've sown, but God adds to it greater dimensions of grace. You've heard the saying, nobody will outgive God. Well, with your life, nobody will outgive God. You, you offer God all of your life, I promise you the reward will be all of your life rewarded, plus a whole lot more you could ever imagine. But he says, to the one who has, more shall be given. To the one who does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. What he's talking about, he just finished talking about the parable of the word of God and different kind of hearts. He's saying, listen, the word of God is to be central in our life. The word of God, the person of Jesus, the truth of scripture, and the voice of the Holy Spirit, whether personally or corporately. That is to be central in our lives. Meaning, like you would, it wouldn't make sense 500 years ago before there was electricity. The sun goes down, you can't see, and you know you got a lamp, and you're like, just leave the lamp over there, who needs it anyways? You'd be like, what are you, what are you talking about? I, I know it doesn't make sense to us again because we have no grid for that. It's just like people, you know, the internet example. But you would take it and be like, I can't see anything, turn on the lamp. That's the word of God. The word of God ought to be central. We ought to be talking about what we read in the word. Man, what is the Lord speaking to you today? Well, what's the Lord showing you today? 
What is he saying? What, what has he said from his word? What's stirring in your heart? The word of God is central to us. And we, when we recognize the word of God is central, we, we begin to be empowered by his presence. His face becomes more clear. We engage him in the spirit and prayer. We engage him in a place of worship. He pours out more and more of himself upon us. And we're able to give all the more. And he rewards us with the greatest reward of all, which is more of his spirit. A softened heart and more of his spirit. When we have that, there's no higher joy and we become unstoppable. Listen, we become unstoppable. Whether you die as a martyr, you're a conqueror. You become unstoppable to hell and you become a man or a woman that is filled and animated by the joy of heaven. The joy of heaven. And so this is, this is what I've been sensing. Listen, this is what I talk to my kids about. We want to live up with our hearts turned towards the Lord and we want to learn how to not constantly eat the cake on our time off. So then when we go back to the Lord, we're like, I don't know why it's not clicking. I don't know why. Like I, on the inside, I want to. I want to jump in on the, on the fast that they called. I want, to, I want to go ahead and do it. I want to give more of my finances. I want to give more of my time. And, and deeply within, we want to because we're born again. But I don't know what it is within me that keeps pulling me back. It's a dull heart. It's a dull heart. That's what it is. It's a dull heart. And listen, we've all been there, and there's no condemnation because it's so easy to go there. It's so easy. Listen, it's all relative. It's so easy to go there. It's so easy to get into the place of self-consciousness and self-centeredness and start to, you know, compare ourselves and start to talk about this person and start to be pulled by this or pulled by that or whatever the case is. It's very, very easy. We need one another. We need the Lord. We need one another. Nope, none of us is an island. There's no great man of God that's able to do it by himself except for Jesus. Jesus was the one man. But he's made, he's made available to us his grace. We cannot afford in this day and this hour to let our hearts get numb and our minds get dull. We, we cannot afford to let it happen. Romans 12, last verse. Romans 12. After Paul unveils the gospel for 11 chapters, Paul begins from Romans 1.1 to the last verse, I think it's 36 to 37 of, of Romans 11. He unveils the gospel and then he says, this is how you ought to respond. This is how you respond right here. He says, offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice. And be transformed in the way that you see life. Don't be conformed to the world. Let God's word, what, what do you mean God's word? He just finished talking about the gospel, the seed. He, finished, he was unpacking and unfolding the seed for 11 chapters. And he says, this is how you respond. Offer God your body. We want to offer God like, a, you know, I don't mean you and me. We, but generally as Christians, right? Lord, here's an offering. Here's 30 minutes of my time. He's like, no, I want your body. Your body, possession. That's possession talk, right? We're not just talking about like occasionally. He's like, I want to fill you with myself. In the Old Testament, they would take an animal, sacrifice, split, you know, cut its throat, sprinkle some of the blood on the altar for the forgiveness of sins. Then they would take the animal. They would cut pieces off of the animal that, would, that they would later on Eat before the presence of the Lord. It was unto, it's, phase one was blood. Phase three was taking some of the entrails and making a meal out of it and then having a meal with the Lord. Right? That's what they did when, when they got, when they covenanted with the Lord at, at uh, Sinai. That's what they did every single time they were sacrificed. But there was something in the middle of phase two. They would take that whole animal, they called it the whole burnt offering. They would put it on the altar and set it on fire. And that animal represented their life. 
the, 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 the throat slit was like, Lord, I got sin, but this is an innocent animal. This, the blood of this animal that's innocent, Lord, cover my sin. But then, but now what? Now what with my life that is now without sin? Now I no longer have sin. I can be, I can put my face towards you. Now you take that body and you put it on the altar and you light it on fire. And that animal is not destroyed. No, that animal is transformed into vapors. Vape, a column of smoke that ascends to heaven that is a pleasing fragrance to God. That, that animal is not, does the Lord want to destroy my life? No, he wants to transform your life. To make your life a fragrance. Paul says we are a fragrance of life to those that know the Lord. We are a fragrance of death to those that refuse him. Why, why, why a fragrance? Because that's what happens with the offering. The offering changes from a human body to vapor and smoke that ascends to God. And this is what he's talking about. This is how we respond. There's, there's no room for compartmentalizing our life. It's, Lord, you love me. You've washed me. Lord, redefine what is normal to me. Lord, I grew up from a Romanian family in Chicago, Illinois. I grew up in a particular culture at a particular time. I got born again in this particular church. Lord, I know there's good and there's bad, and some of the things are just in between. But, Lord, I don't want those things to define how I see the world. Lord, wash my mind with your word. Wash my mind with your word. I don't want to call normal what everybody else around me calls normal. What if it's not normal? Lord, what do you say is normal? What is beautiful to you? Maybe my palate doesn't like pleasant things. Lord, change my palate. Change my palate to like pleasant things. Remove from my palate the desire for things that, are, that pollute my soul. Lord, remove it. And then he goes on to say, the transformation of the mind, right? You guys can stand for the sake of time. I need to get to the airport. You guys can stand. <laughs> I said I would go like 20, 30 minutes. Preachers, I want to encourage you with this last word. Very, very practical. This is very practical because it's easy to be like, man, okay, that was a little heavy. First Mike came out and spanked us with the bringing the snacks thing. <laughs> now here you go. We got to be like Smith Wigglesworth. Like I got a job. Like I'm trying to like retire in a few years or like I like to play basketball. Man, I'm not supposed to play basketball anymore. Like, you know. Listen, I'm not giving application to your life. Let the Spirit of God give application to your life. But I will say this. I will say this. If you change your mind, your feelings will follow. If you wait for your feelings to change in order for you to make decisions in your life and make changes in your life, you're going to be waiting a long time or you're going to be like a yo-yo, like a roller coaster, up and down. I'm here today. I'm there tomorrow. I feel I'm all in. The next day it's like, I feel, you know, nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. You know what I mean? Like, it's, if you're going to wait for your feelings, you're, you'll never, ever progress in God. But if you, if you decide to say, okay, I accept by faith the truth of Scripture. Jesus, give revelation knowledge to your word and touch my heart. This is true. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what everybody else around the world says. God is true. If you do that and you pursue Jesus, not just individually, but with a an assembly of believers. You guys have a family here. This is a great family. God has placed you in a great place. You pursue the Lord as a family. Lord, we're going to seek your face. I promise you eventually your feelings will, will eventually follow. And eventually you're going to be like, I want to do this. This is great. <laughs> right? It may not start out that way. But if, it's going to, listen, it will follow. Don't wait for your feelings to change. Decide. Decide that the word of God is true. 
Amen. Let's just, I just want to pray and then give, give time for worship and wherever else the Lord would, would determine that he wants to take it. But, and again, it's, a, it's an honor to be here with you guys. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for, for your presence in, your, in our lives. We thank you, Lord, for your, for your word. We thank you for this church, Lord, for this house, for this family. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I can think over my own life how merciful you've been. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you pursue us. Thank you, Lord, that you do a much better job at pursuing us than we will ever do at pursuing you. Thank you, Lord, that you can lead us much better than we learn how to be led. Thank you, Lord, that you're a good father and you're, you're patient and you're kind with us in the process. And you're not, you're not, uh, you haven't changed your mind. You don't have buyer's remorse. Thank you, Lord, that you don't have a buyer's remorse no matter how, no matter what, what we've come out of, no matter where we're at right now in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you are committed to us. And, that, and you being committed to us is not determined by just a fleeting moment or a fleeting feeling, Lord, you have committed your heart towards us. You have determined, Lord, in your heart that we are a prized possession and a treasure to you. And, Lord, we want to behold you as you are. Lord, I ask you for this precious house, this precious congregation, Lord, that you would come with waves of grace and waves of mercy, that by the word of God you would break up. If there's any, any areas of our hearts and our minds that's, that's gotten hard or that has in any way conformed to the world, if, if in any ways, Lord, we have, have been hardened by the deceitfulness of, of, of this world's treasure. If we have been hardened, Lord, by the cares of this world. If we have been hardened, Lord, by, by, by lust. If we have been hardened, Lord, by, by pride or by self-centeredness or whatever it may be, Lord. If we've been hardened, Lord, we ask you to have mercy on us, Lord. We're not able to soften our own hearts. No matter how much we would want to, Lord, we're not able. Lord, but we ask you, Lord, for the touch of God, Lord, one touch from you, Lord. We ask you to touch us, Lord. We ask you to, to lead us, Lord. We ask you to help us, Lord. We need hearts that are soft. We need, we need minds that are awakened to the truth of Scripture. We need eyes that can see light, Lord. We're asking for a hunger, a hunger for the Word of God in Jesus' name. Lord, I, Lord we ask you for a hunger for the Word of God in Jesus' name. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to speak and to show us, Lord, in what areas we need to cut out the unnecessary things that are sowing into our hearts and into our minds is just deadening, deadening voices, deadening noise. In Jesus' name, Lord, show us, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you don't show us to shame us or to condemn us. You show us because you love us, you want to help us. Soft hearts, Lord. Give us soft hearts, Lord. Fill us with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name.